It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Rodan Podcast. Stay tuned to hear all things LFC. Mella, lovely cushion header. Pajero! Hi everyone and welcome to season three of the Road End Podcast. Today I am joined by former Red, George Scott. Hi George, welcome to the podcast mate, how are you doing? Hi, Dom. I'm doing good. Thanks for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Oh, no, it's, it's great to have you here. It's great to have you here. I want to get straight into things, really. So, obviously, you've got a book out about your time at the club. It's a successful book, let's be honest. It's called The Lost Shankly Boy. Tell me a little bit about the book and why you wrote the book. Well, the book was written um, with um, a brilliant author along with me, Jeff Goulding. He's written six books about Liverpool, and they're all been bestsellers, you know. And I met Jeff at the Shankly Hotel, really, just for a chat. It was all to do with a few articles that I've been writing on the internet, and he really just wanted to have a chat with us. So we just had a pint and was watching Liverpool playing on the screen, and as we were chatting, within 10 minutes, Jeff stopped me. He said, no, no, I'll stop you there. He said, this is not an interview. This is not. A, this is a book. He said, I'd be thrilled if you'd allow me to write it with you. Well, I'd already written it, to be honest, you know, and um, basically lots of people had said I should write a book, for many years now and you know i do things like after dinner talking about shanks and not for money for charity i do it all for charity for blood cancer and i've raised about twenty thousand for blood cancer so i've used to telling the stories and things you know so uh, but i said to jeff well i've done most of it jeff you know he said but yeah but i want to get my hands on to it which he used his brilliance as a as an author to put the thing into context and to create the chapters and to create the story, and he explained to me why a book, how a book should be written, and how it, um, you need to understand the central character, and you need to be sympathetic to him or her. And the way he explained it was brilliant, you know. And um, we used to communicate to each other over the internet, and we, we only met 
three or four times in the six months we worked together before it was published and um, become great friends since, of course. But I mean, you know, it was all done me sending him what I'd written, him sending a bit back to me and me editing it and send it back to him. He'd ask me for a bit more and I would give him a bit more. And it, as you said, it's turned out to be a real thrill and a very big successful book, really. Um, to me, I never did it for the money. I did it for the legacy. I did it for that to basically try and because I'm one of the few people left now from Shankly's when he first came to Anfield. Um, there's only Callie, um, Billy Stevenson, who's not too well. Uh, Ronnie Yates is not well. Ian's gone now, Ian St. John. They're all, they're all drifted away, you know, got ill or got dementia or arthritis or whatever. Fortunately for me, I'm still able to remember and I observed everything when I was there. And uh, I was a big part of it, part of the first team squad, you know. And the only reason I didn't get into the first team was the fact that there were no substitutes. And yeah. the team was so brilliant. I mean, 11 internationals. So Gordon Wallace and Bobby Graham and myself, we struggled to get into the team. Tommy Smith and Chris Laura did break in, became legends. But the five of us all joined together at Anfield. Virtually in the same month in 1960, when Shanks came, he took us with him. The two lads from Liverpool and the three or four boys from Scotland. Well, Gordon Wallace was from, uh, he was Scottish, but he was from Wales, from Flanethley, where he lived. And Gordon and I still play golf together. Now we're still great friends, being friends for 63 years. So that was Shankly's idea to get his version of the Busby Babes, really, to get young players who were playing international football at schools level um, to come to Anfield and build them up from there, along with the people he was signing, the big people he was signing. And uh, that's how it all started. In 1960, I came down to Liverpool. When I was fifteen, I was just a kid. Um, well, you know, and, I've just been, I've just been looking at this. I've looked at an overview, obviously, of your time at the club. Of course, I haven't, obviously, what you've done afterwards. Um, you come as a schoolboy, let's say, and if I'm right in saying you turned down the opportunity to join your hometown club, Aberdeen, you you then chose Liverpool first of all. Um, what was it like? Before we get into a couple of stories about it, what was it like to be a part of such a successful era at the club now? Obviously, I understand in terms of appearances, you would have wanted a hell of a lot more and probably at the time deserved a lot, of, a lot more considering the goals and, you know, the appearances in the reserve team football. Um, but what was it like to be part of that era? It was absolutely, looking back on it, amazing at the time. It was, it was just part of life. We were just fulfilling our dream, trying to get to the top, you know. But we didn't know at the time that, what was going to happen and how that club was going to explode from a middle-of-the-table second division team doing nothing into what became and still is one of the greatest football institutions in the world. You know, so I came from... I wanted to, as you said, uh, Dom, I wanted to sign for Aberdeen, supported them since I was a child. And that was the only thing I ever wanted to do. And they offered me £6.50 a week as an apprentice to sign for them, which I didn't sign, but I agreed verbally. But then... Yeah. The caretaker at our school was a scout for Liverpool and he persuaded uh, my parents to allow me to come down for a week's trial. And really, it was only, in my mind, just a holiday. I didn't even know anything about Liverpool. The only thing I knew about Liverpool was the fact that Shankly was the manager. And the only reason I knew that was because he'd signed Dennis Law um, yeah. from Aberdeen schools. And Dennis played three or four years ahead of me for Aberdeen schoolboys. Um, and so he was my idol. I mean, he used to drive around Aberdeen in the Red Jaguar, you know, playing for, you know, Manchester City, you know. 
at the time he signed for Huddersfield Town. And he was only a boy with a little squint in his eye and blonde hair, you know, five foot four or something. And Shanky made him up into a star. So that's what the appeal was for me. So when I came down to Anfield, it was just for a trial with Gordon Wallace. And if two of us played three games, I think Everton, Bolton and Preston, and we scored in all the games and we played well. So Gordon went to see Shankly first and then he, he agreed to sign for £7 a week as an apprentice. Seems crazy, but that was a good wage, believe me. My father was earning £9 a week as a labourer with three kids and a wife in Aberdeen. So at 15 to get £7, almost the same wage as your father, was unbelievable. You know, your average tradesman was maybe getting 2 or £3 a week, you know. So Gordon signed for £7 and then Shankly pulled me in his office and yeah, you know, again, the, the Shankly way. You've been impressed by your son, you know. You, I want you to stay here and play for us. Rubens and Aberdeen, Bournemouth, he'll look after you and all this stuff. And I said to Shankly, well, I don't think so, Mr Shankly, because, you know, my mother and father, I think I'm going to Aberdeen. I want to go to Aberdeen, you know, because that's my team. And uh, my granny doesn't even know where Liverpool is, I said to him. <laughs> and he said, you tell our son, we're in the second division at the moment but we'll be in the first division next year. Make no mistake about that. Soon everybody will know where Liverpool is. And when he said that, you know, it hit me. It hit me like a bit, you know, like, like a bullet, you know, and uh, his voice yeah. and the way he said it and the passion. So when I came back to Aberdeen, I told my mum and dad, I'm going to Liverpool. And it was a big, big thing, you know, I mean, to leave home at that age and my brothers and everything I'd ever known. So, uh, as I said in the book, when I wrote it, my granddad saw me off at the station. I was only 15 and uh, came to Liverpool. And sadly, he died a few weeks later. But that was really sad, you know, still is to me this day because he was my idol. I'd lost my father in the Second World War. He was killed in Normandy in the Gordon Highlanders when I was on, well, before I was born. I was two months, two months away from being born. Oh. I was born October 44 and he was killed in August the 8th, 1944 in Normandy. So my, my granddad was a big part of my life, you know. Um, so I came to Liverpool and Shackley, I think, you know, all the time I was there and all the time after I was there, he cared for me, he looked after me. You know, I don't know, maybe because he knew I'd left home at such a young age and I didn't quite get into the team. You know, I'd got three games in the first team in the Lancashire Senior Cup because they were qualified as first team games, those, when we went to the final against Burnley in 1963. We beat Man United in the semi-final 5-2 at Old Trafford. And he was over there. He was over the moon. I remember when we came off the pitch, he said, to, he said that was sheer poetry, boys, just like what Burns wrote. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we actually thought of, uh, you know, you know, I was, as you said, it was fantastic. These He brought St. John and he brought Yates and, uh, and Peter Thompson and Gordon Milne. And that was great for the club. It wasn't great for us because they were coming in and we were fighting our way up and, being held back really because there was no substitutes Tom you know yeah so you've mentioned about the no substitutions and obviously Liverpool's first FA Cup final I've seen a, a very famous story of yours and Shanks um you're the 12th man famously known as um yeah. for that for that day obviously yeah. for anyone who's listening that doesn't know um this was the first FA Cup Liverpool ever won now obviously you're frustrated at the fact that you're not in the side on this day and like you've said, plenty of competition. But can you just tell the listeners and the watchers what it was that Shank said about that day? 
Well, what happened? It wasn't on the day. It was it was when we came back from the cup final? And imagine the glory of the cup final. Liverpool won for the first time in history. St John's yeah. brilliant headed goal, you know, and the fans, and it's just incredible. We came back to Merseyside, half a million people on the streets. Uh, there was two buses. The first team were on the front bus on the top. We were on the second bus waving at the crowds. And it was up on the town hall behind Shanks. And it's just for a young lad, I was on barely 20. Um, it was great. So we came back to the digs at night. And Peter Thompson, we, I was in digs with Peter. We lived the same digs for two years. He was a great friend of mine. And um, we, we, we were going into town, obviously, because we just won, won the cup, you know. And I got seen this letter on the mat. And the letter was from from the club, and I thought it was my, um, you know, my passport to fame. I thought next year I'm in the, I'm in the big time. You know, this is a new contract, and you know, so I opened it. Uh, pretty devastated to see that you know, the letter said that at a meeting of the board of directors of the Liverpool Football Club, it's been decided to sell you to Aberdeen, accept an offer from Aberdeen of twelve thousand pounds for your transfer, and so. You know, that really hit me hard at the time. So Liverpool were playing into Milan on the Tuesday night in the semi-final of the European Cup. It turned out that was the last match I ever watched Anfield as a player. Um, and we won five, we won a four-one, I think it was, you know, or three-one, I can't remember, but Cali scored a great goal and all that. And I went to see Shankly the next day and went into his office. And this is where the story came from, really. Um, obviously, you could see I was disappointed. I was, I was, you know, my heart was full, really. And he, he said to me, he said, don't worry, son, he said, uh, I'll tell you one thing, he said, there are five reasons why you need to leave now. And I said, uh, what, what are they? Callaghan, Hunt, St. John, Smith and Thompson. That's what he said. They're all internationals, George. They're not going anywhere. And you're 20. You need to break into first-team football. He said, I've sold you to Aberdeen, he said. Your hometown team, Eddie, Eddie Turnbull, can't wait to get you up there, he said. You know, you'll be a big star up there, he said. You know, in Aberdeen, you're getting the first team. Give me all this stuff, he said. And another thing, I want you to think of yourself when you go there as the 12th best player in the bloody world. <laughs> what are you talking about? So the first team here has just won, this, just won the 1964 league, son. We've just won the 65 Cup. So these are the 12 best players in the world, he said. And you're the leading scorer in the reserve team, he said. So you think of yourself as the 12th best player in the world. So I'm in tears now, and I'm going to leave the office. And he comes out from behind his desk, and he said to me, he said, uh, I want you to think of yourself as the foundation stone of the Liverpool Cathedral, George. He says, nobody will ever see the stone song, but unless it's there, the cathedral doesn't get built. Remember that? Yeah. Now, I didn't know what he was talking about at the time, but I do now. I mean, I know it's in, in the years since, and he's telling me that, don't worry, everybody's important in this club. The club's only going where it's going because of the people that are here, and you were there, you were there with me at the beginning. So that was where the story came from, and uh, he, he stayed with me all the way. I owe him so much, and really. I mean, you know, I went back to Aberdeen, and I played in the first team, got my debut, scored on my debut, beat, beat Glasgow Rangers 2-0, Petaudry, 30,000 there. All my family were there girlfriend who's now my wife over there, you know, and that was a dream come true to beat them, you know, I was celebrating at night, be the chairs, you know, for the Scots lad. Uh, we were all Catholics, our family, so I made it even sweeter. I wasn't like the, the stepfather and his family all were, you know, so they were, they were quite happy, you know. And so I, I had a really, really, really good start at Aberdeen. And um, unfortunately, halfway through the season, I got hit with a terrible cruciate ligament injury, which in the end finished me there, really. Um, sadly, because I was heading 
I was heading in the right, in the, in the right direction. And the manager was um, was very good with me, and he, he was he was gutted when, when it happened. But there was nothing I could do. It was a cruciate ligament injury, four months, and the end of the season came and they let me go. Wow. I so then ended up working you... in a factory. <laughs> go on, sorry. You ended up working in a factory, wow. So, you know, just while I, I haven't put this in, what I was going to ask you about, but in terms of medical, um, let's say, assistance back then to now obviously it's come a long way but i i haven't seen it from then a cruciate for four months seems like a really quick turnaround <laughs> well it wasn't it was four months really until i was able to sort of walk really yeah i mean it was the rest of the season i mean it mm. happened it happened uh, i think with about five months of the season to go and at the end of the season i still wasn't able to play football and I yeah. wasn't going to recover in the eyes of the club. The club didn't think I was going to make a recovery. So they made wow. a decision to let me go. Um, so I, there was me um, in May 1965 at the cup final, part of all that, that glory. And in May 1966 on the dole. Um, and that's how ruthless football is. And again, coming back to the book, one of the things about the book, I think I'd like to think anyway, is um, overcoming, overcoming things, fighting back. Not getting down, never giving up. All the all the things Shankly instilled into me and Gordon and Bobby and, and the rest of the boys, and it doesn't just do you good in your career as a footballer; it does you good in life. Because I've had a lot of setbacks in life, a lot of a lot of brilliant things, most ninety percent brilliant, but a few setbacks, and you've had to you've had to fight back, you know. Um, and he always used to say, Shankly, sometimes in life, when you only get one chance, you've got to take it. And Lovely things like natural enthusiasm, the greatest thing in the world. Without it, you're nothing. You get nothing for sitting still. Nothing happens unless you make it happen. All those things drummed into your brain, you know, makes you a better person. And when I went out of football years later into sales, I used that in the management skills from the sales teams to win sales awards and all that. Um, you know, and I used the Shankly methods to train the team, work as if it were a football team, although we were selling, you know, time, you know. But, you know, so Aberdeen, was, that was a shame, really. But, I mean, going back to Liverpool, there's so much in the book about Liverpool that the readers will enjoy about those days because I described the stadium as it was and take you through the, the boot room and where Shanks' office was and, and the director's room and pitch, how it looked then and how it is now. And then down on the bus to the cavern and Mazzy Beat and all that stuff going on. Um, you know, and all the funny stories about Shankly in there. And also... Um, things about players that maybe people wouldn't have heard of who were great players. The yeah. only thing wrong was they couldn't get in the team, but they made good careers elsewhere, you know. And then well, also like stories said, about the big players. Like, sorry, like you've said there, a lot of great players who were at Liverpool at the time, unfortunately, because of the, the sheer talent in the side that we had, it was obviously difficult to break through. Um, yeah. If you look back at that side from when Shanks first came in, and look at the legacy that Shanks left at the club. Who would you say was the best player you've ever seen in a Liverpool shirt during that period? During that period? Oh, dear, dear. That's a real tough call, that, you know, because they were all legends. I mean, I could see Roger Hunt. I mean, Roger Hunt played in the World Cup final, you know, scored 300 goals nearly, you know, and fabulous, fabulous man and a player. I could say in St. John, who I loved, Daily, a great friend Ian is saying, you know, his character, his personality, skill, head and ability, 
I could say Peter Thompson, he was like, you know, a modern day sort of uh, Mo Salah. You know, you can go past players as if they didn't exist. I could see Ian Callaghan, 847 appearances, never be beaten by anybody. I could see Tommy Smith, the Anfield Iron. I mean, they're all, it's very difficult for me to pick one out, I'll be honest with you. You know, Big Ronnie, you know, Billy Stevenson, Culture Left Foot, Gordon Milne, Shanty called them a, well, you uh, take it in, pass it in messages. You get the ball from Smithy and put it back to Smithy and he'd pimp it. He'd do what Alexander Arnold does now, Tommy. He'd get the ball and he'd pump yeah. it out to the left wing. You know, and, and very similar, to be honest, the team then to the team today in many ways. And the previous team Jürgen had as well. Because so, I've said this on before. Jürgen, on Jürgen Klopp. Sorry, go on. No, sorry, George. Uh, on Jürgen Klopp then, um, obviously he is... I'd say my era's version of Shanks. Uh, I, I just, oh, yeah. I'm going to put that out there and I'm going to say that's what it is. So he's the greatest manager I've seen in my lifetime and probably ever will see in my lifetime if I think about it. Um, how do the two compare for you? Well, they're a natural pair. I mean, to be honest, you know, sadly I've never met you again. I'd love to meet him. Perhaps I will one day. I'm hoping he'll read the book. But um, Shankly and Jurgen both understood the Liverpool people. They both knew exactly how they tick, what makes them tick, what the hot button is. You know, Shankly used to say to us, uh, you're playing for these boys in the factories, these boys in the docks. They come here. They come here to, they come here to see you perform. Um, and that's the same Jürgen. He loves the fans. He's all for the fans. He's also brilliant with the players, you know, and Shankly was. The players loved Shankly because of his humour, uh, the respect for him, you know, he came towards you, you're ducking, he took out of the way, you know, uh, because he was, he just carried that charisma. And Jürgen, to me, is, you're absolutely right, the modern version of Bill Shankly. The only thing different is the accent, you know, everything else, I would think, mirrors, mirrors each other. Even the teams, I mean, Shankly used to say he played with like a cross, the crucifix method, and that's not in a religious way. Goalkeeper Tommy Lawrence at the back, then Ronnie Yates in the middle, then St John in the front, and then Thompson on the left, and then Callie on the right. Then you fill it in with the others. And he always used to say, "Let the uh, let the Bobby Dazzlers dazzle, you know. Let let, let the uh, the classy players do the work in the box. All you need to do is keep possession. Don't give it away. Pass it to a man in a red shirt. Get it back. Give it again. Get it back, and then ping it. And if you lose it." Get it back, high press. Shang used to say all these things 60 years ago. That's exactly what Jurgen Klopp does. It's how he plays the game. You've got, I would say, goalkeeper Allison for uh, Lawrence, centre half Van Dyke for Big Ronnie. Up front, you've got, you did have Manny for Hunt. Uh, you've got Salah now, you know, on the on the wings, you've got, not wingers now, is in a sense, you've basically got Robertson and Trent going down the wings and crossing over. So it's a very similar. Um, you watch a Liverpool team, they very rarely give the ball away. Very rarely give the ball. If they do, it's a disaster. And then they've got to get it back. And that's why they're so successful at Anfield. I mean, you know, they, they've only lost one game in 40. People forget this. One game in 44 or something. They've lost them at the home stadium. I mean, what other clubs ever done that? You know, and even through the Tough times last year. We had a hiccup, didn't we? we? You know, we lost games at home. But that's the only time I can remember when Liverpool... <laughs> I mean, Shankly said to me and my dad when I was on the pitch with him, he said, um, you're lucky to be here, son. He said, this place is going to be a bastion of invincibility. They're all coming here and be beaten, son. Every one of them. 
Now, I look back, I think there's still coming here to be beaten, every one of them. I can't remember going to a match Anfield I've seen him being beaten for about four, what, two, two years, three years. So, answer your question, yes, Klopp is the modern Shankly, without a doubt, in my view. And he's building his second team now as well, same as Shankly did. Yeah, so obviously on Jurgen, I think he's got, I think it's two years or three years. I can't quite remember what it is. Um, I think it's two years now. But if you if you look at that now, <clears throat> I kind of feel like there's got there's a second wind that's came into Jurgen. Um, obviously, we had this massively successful period over the first few years, and then a bit of a drop. Let's say yeah. through no fault of our own for the recruitment. If I'm being brutally honest, um, I can't see him leaving in a couple of years now. I don't know whether that's just me in denial, but I kind of feel like when he said Liverpool 2.0, that kind of feels like he wants to see this team, um, let's say, flourish. What, what do you think? I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's no reason for him to leave, really. Where could he go? It's any better. He can't. Maybe the German international team, but that's not his scene. I wouldn't have thought. I mean, he likes to be involved with the players day-to-day training and travelling. But if you're an international coach, you're only watching football matches from a stand and having your team once or twice every three months, you know. So, I mean, there's no... He's got huge loyalty, I know, to Liverpool and his family seem really settled here as well. And he loves the players and they love him. And look, I mean, you got players like Gavin Bersh has just come in. I mean, he was struggling at Bayern. And look at him now. He's only been with Jürgen a month or two and he's playing like, you know, like out of his skin. Sabozlai as well. I mean, he's gone up a grade since he came here, you know, from the Hungarian national team. Even Endo... You know, I mean, Endo looks looks to me a pretty class player, to be honest. And yeah, people were laughing at him when he came in. He's a good addition to the squad. McAllister. I mean, I go on a podcast with Frank Carlyle on a Tuesday night, um, which is good fun, you know, with people writing in and things. And, uh, you know, last, in the middle of the summer, it was Caicedo, Caicedo, Lavia. And we were going at 110 million. I mean, he went to Chelsea and he got substituted on Saturday. I mean... And Lavia's not even in the in the squad, and they've spent 130 million on them too, and they're and they're one point ahead of Everton. So you know, I think Jurgen and whoever's working our background there, I mean, they've got McAllister, Subosli, Gakpo, Nunes, Diaz. They've all come in in the last few years. You know, Salah's. Well, I'm lost in admiration for Salah. I mean, he's just. A genius, in my view. He never gets injured. He never complains. Game after game after game, he goes through the same routine. You know, God help us if we ever lose him. I mean, you know, I'm glad he. I'm glad he didn't go to Saudi Arabia. He'd only be getting watched by by 960 fans over there. So he may as well stay at Liverpool. He's got adoration of 60,000. <laughs> and what are, you, what are your thoughts on that, George? So obviously, you've you've seen the Saudi league, and you've seen. I wouldn't say the popularity. I'd say more more the finance because. Let's be honest, as you've mentioned, the attendances there are absolutely ridiculously poor. Um, but going forward, they're only going to keep biting and biting to get the best players, and obviously they've got the financial power to do so. Um, a lot of people are calling for maybe Salah to maybe go at the end of the season. Um, I think he's the kind of player that could play for Liverpool till he's 36, 37. It's, that's as simple as that. Maybe when it gets to that yeah. time, it's, it's, it's probably best to part ways, let's be honest. But Right now, the guy's scoring goals for fun. He's creating goals. He's he's a menace on the right. Um, the balance is there on the right-hand side with Sir Bosley and Trent. Now, 
do you can you see him going at the end of the season or can you see him sticking around? And I would be surprised if he goes at the end of the season. I mean, I know he's you know he's from Egypt, so he's Middle Eastern. I mean, like when I went to South Africa, I was there for two years and did really well. Won the league championship. Was one of the top scorers in the country. Got a lot of adoration and everything. But I was always going to come home because yeah. I'm I'm British, I'm Scottish, you know. But Salah will eventually go back to where he's more comfortable. But to be honest, you know, he he looks to me like he loves playing at Liverpool. Loves the fans. He's such a comes across as a real genuine guy and you know I I don't think you'll go at the end of the season but you're right you, you will go eventually it depends how the club do if we're in the if we're in the Champions League next year and we're in a cup final and we're going to Dublin for the Europa League and all this is going on and he's got players coming in who are quality players then why would you leave Liverpool I can't think of any player that's left Liverpool that's ever done any better ever maybe Suarez for a bit with Barcelona, can you name me anybody who's done better when they left Liverpool? No, I'm with you with on that. It's only ever been Suarez, like you've said. I think Suarez was always destined for great things. I just think the problem with him is the way he left. If he'd have left admirably, admirably, sorry, then yeah. you know we could all we could all just clap our hands. But obviously, the way he left, it left a bit of taste in our mouth. But again, he's went on to have an unbelievable career. No matter where he's gone, he scored goals and he's lifted trophies. Um, the other yeah. guys, the Wijnaldums, the Coutinho's, the yeah. players that have left with a bit of a sour taste, it's small field then, yeah. if you ask me. Yeah, because, I mean, we're, we're better is it, to play Anfield. You know, we're, I mean, well, look at the history of the club, I mean, in the first place, and it's just unbelievable, you know. It's like an episode of Coronation Street, you know, with new stars coming in every time and it keeps going forever. You know, I just think it's a fantastic club, not just because I support them and I played for them. I think anybody with any brains can see that, you know. I mean, everybody thinks the club's the best, obviously, you know. I mean, everybody, everybody, but Liverpool's a bit special. George, just on the book then, just before we finish, um, obviously the book's, the book's brilliant, as you've said, and, you know, the, the stories that you've got in there, the, the you know, for anyone who's listening or watching, like I've said, make sure you get out there and get this yeah. first of all. But... Have you thought of doing an audio book? Because your voiceovers of Shanks are absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, we did think about that in the beginning. Like, and and I, I'm not sure why we didn't do it. To be honest, you know, it was raised at one stage right back when it was launched. Um, I think one of the problems when we launched the book. Uh, bear in mind, it was launched three. It was published published three years ago, yeah. this month, and it's never been out. Hardly ever been out of the top hundred Amazon Liverpool books. Most of the time in the top twenty. And uh, quite a few times, number one, number two, up number five, whatever. Even now, last week, I think the week before was 17. So it's continuing to be be purchased and that. But when they published it, the COVID epidemic was rampant. Mm. And unfortunately, on that month that we published it, I was in Broad Green Hospital having a five-way heart bypass. Wow. Um, so we didn't, we weren't able to have the proper launch for those two reasons. We we're going to be a big launch at the Shankly Hotel. Lots of people coming, out. but you know, obviously, we couldn't do that. Um, and then seven months after that, which was like two years ago in May, I contracted double bacterial pneumonia and I was in Arrow Park intensive care for five weeks and I was given eight hours to live. And my wife and my boys came down more or less to say goodbye because my oxygen levels were down around about the low 70s and I was on 60% oxygen. In, they couldn't establish what the bacteria was that was attacking my lungs. It wasn't COVID, 
I got loads of COVID tests, but it was COVID lungs. And uh, it was de- I was desperately ill. I mean, it was a photograph of me. Somebody took, got one of these big helmets on, <laughs> like Buzz Lightyear, you know, and they were desperately trying to tell me to keep breathing. Um, and I got over, got through the night after they told me I wasn't going to make it. And then they decided to give me a heavy bunch of steroids, heavy dose of steroids. And the steroids slowly dampened my immune system, stopped it attacking my lungs and let the antibiotics work. And it slowly recovered. So I was let out after five weeks. I lost 24 pounds in weight. Um, wow. I couldn't walk the length of the living room. I couldn't walk the length of the living room. If you saw photographs, you wouldn't recognize me. And, uh, you know, it took a while to get back. But now, I mean, I'm playing golf three times a week. I'm walking 10,000 steps a day. I'm fit as I've ever been. No health problems. And it all comes back to what I say about the Shankly spirit. Never give up. And the doctors and the consultants in the hospital were so kind and the letters I received. And, you know, I've got a thousand uh, messages from people just coming through on emails and on the internet and things like that. You know, people really great. Liverpool fans, especially fantastic. So I've come through that. Not only that, the year before, that's three years ago, I had a cancer operation on my head. There you go. You probably see the hole. Goodness me. That was a squamous cell carcinoma, which 20 stitches and 14 staples in a skin graft. And that's all gone. That's three years ago. So, you know, you just got to keep going, haven't you? You know, Like a cat with nine lives, George. <laughs> a wonderful wife, wonderful kids, wonderful grandchildren. Got my health. I go to watch Liverpool play and uh, get to talk to lovely people like you. And it's, it's, um, it's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'd like to thank you for coming on today, George. Honestly, I, I appreciate your time and obviously the, the stories. And it's great today. You're in good health as well, the fittest you've ever been, like you've said. Um, for anyone who's listening, where can they find your book? Yeah, there, there's a book there. It's on Amazon. It's the best place. Amazon, I think it's about £16, something like that on Amazon. I'll tell you one thing I will say. I know it's coming towards Christmas. I don't like pushing the book too hard, but at the end of the day, it's a good time for book sales. So if anybody wants a book which really opens up their eyes to Liverpool in the 60s with Shankly and a good story, a lot of emotion in there, a lot of sadness and a lot of joy and a lot of happiness and a lot of fun and good stories, a lot of laughs. And there you go. There's a chance for you buy it for your father, your uncle, your brother, whoever, Liverpool fan, you know. That's a sales pitch. Over. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best one I've had. Young, you know. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much, Jason. Yeah. Send me a link to the podcast so I can see it when it eventually comes out. Oh, will do. Thank you so much, George. It's a pleasure. Look after yourself. Good luck. You never walk alone. You too. You never walk alone. Thanks to everyone for listening in to today's podcast. And thank you to our amazing guests. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. Don't forget to follow us on social media, twitter.com forward slash the road end pod and on instagram instagram slash the road end pod 